Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If you got a Bible, why don't we open to the book of John? Uh, John, in the New Testament, we are going to be focusing in on one chapter um, for the next several weeks of John, John 17. And uh, I'm excited too. And so um, we will be in John 17, focusing in on what might be known as Jesus' high priestly prayer, but the entire chapter is a prayer. And so we get the privilege of not just looking at content, um, but also being driven to be a people who pray as our Savior prays. So what I want to do is I want to read, we're just going to do two verses today, slow and steady wins the race, and uh, we're going to do two verses and then uh, after that I'll pray and we'll look at the passage together. John 17, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to all whom you have given him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask in this moment that you would come. I ask that you would do what Jesus is praying here in this moment, and that is glorify your Son. And so, as I prayed with the worship team earlier, Father, I pray now it's freeing, and yet it also gives you a great sense of desperation that I cannot, and we cannot, glorify Jesus in a way that does justice to your beauty and supremacy and perfection. And yet we ask, everything we will do today will fall short of how really glorious you are. And yet, you love us. And you draw near to us. And you ask that we would make that the endeavor of our hearts. That we would want Jesus glorified through us. And so, Father, I pray. I pray now. Glorify your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So, clothing is a very weird thing sometimes. It uh, is not just covering ourselves, but it can project some things that we love. I uh, will never forget that uh, growing up in high school, it's usually the high school college years when, you know, status is assigned to what you have on. And um, sadly, that can never go away for some. But 
fads are very interesting because they can like come and go. Right now, there's a brand out, and it simply is known by one word, Supreme. It is the brand that is extremely popular. If you have Supreme everything, uh, my boys tell me that you are called a hype beast. I didn't realize that, so I'm learning all these things. And so it is, you are supreme, every, like you have supreme belt buckles, you have supreme shirts, and you have supreme bumper stickers, and you have supreme, I mean, you have supreme stuff. And yet, living just a little bit longer uh, than my children have, I've realized that this is a fad that will go away soon, you know. So I grew up on uh, jellies. Anybody know what jellies are? I didn't wear them. I'm just saying, you know, the people around me wore them, okay? Or garbage pail kids. Anybody ever heard of those things? Okay. Many of you are like, no, because it's gone away. That's the point. Okay. And what we have um, in our world today is that these fads come and go, but they project something. They can tell what we love, what we're going after. Sometimes if you wear a Panthers shirt, you can know that that person is a Panthers fan. If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'm extremely sorry for you today. Um, And uh, yeah, J.D. Loftus sent me a text today. It said, remember the Titans. And it had a picture of Tom Brady crying and Lamar Jackson crying. Um, For those of you who don't watch football, you have no clue what I just said. So it's okay. All I'm getting at is our clothing, what we wear, it projects what we love. In this passage, Jesus, after what is known as his farewell discourse, chapters 13 through 16, his final farewell words to his followers. After these final words, we run into chapter 17. Let me just give you a little bit of a taste of his final words. Look at verse 32 of chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 32 He says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's here now when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. And this is comforting to anyone who's felt alone. Jesus says, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace, followers of Jesus. Because in this world, you will have tribulation. Another way to say it would be, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him or her out of them all. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good courage, don't give up. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. There's this centrality of Jesus for the hope of the follower that in all of this, you're going to leave me, I'm going to be alone, the hour has come for me to die. That's a bleak picture. I've overcome the world. And yet, these farewell words, your hope rests in the sun, your peace rests in the sun. Here's what we find, John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. 
Psalm 123.1 tells us that to lift up your eyes is to pray. It says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. To lift up the eyes is a posture of prayer. Psalm 141.8 My eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Wherever you go, when you're low, it shows your greatest hope. Wherever you go, when you're desperate, when you're at the brink for Jesus, at the brink of death, it shows where your hope rests. And for him, he knew, I'm running to my father. I'm running to my Father. And so we see John 17, verse 1. After he had spoken these things, he lifts his eyes to heaven. And this is, there's one message, one point of this entire message. And it is found in Jesus' prayer right here. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This is the prayer. This is the point of Jesus' prayer. There is something He is asking right now in third person, mind you. Is that not a little interesting how that's working? Glorify your Son. That'd be glorify me, He's praying, that you might get glory through me. Praise that, preserve for us in such a way because wanting to make this connection that He is the Son. And so, the whole sermon is meant to answer this question. What does it mean that Jesus asks in this moment that He get glory? What does it mean that He gets glory? And therefore, how does that affect our day to day? How does that affect our lives? Glorify your Son. So the title of this whole sermon is, Father, glorify your Son through me. You might not fully know what all that means, but this is the primary singular prayer of the believer. Father, make Jesus look beautifully majestic through my life. I exist as a projector. What does a projector do? It takes what's on that computer back there in the back that none of you can see. And through cords, it's running through and it runs up to that thing right there. It's a projector. And that projector shines right here so that you can see what you normally couldn't see. Our lives are meant to be a projector for the glory of God. Oh God, help me. Help my life. Take what is invisible to our lost and dying world and make it visible. How I love you. How I love my wife. How I care for my kids. How I live in a church. How I love lost people. 
how I do my job, how I talk, what I watch, what I love, what I do with my free time. God, make me a projector so that when they see my life, they would say, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is mysteriously glorious. They might say, why in the world do you love him so much? Why in the world don't you give up on him when things get hard? Why in the world would you alter how you spend your money for him? Those questions will only be asked if we see the existence of our lives in coordination with Jesus' first words in this prayer, Father, glorify your Son. Father, somehow in all of my brokenness, glorify your Son through me. This is what we'll spend our time pleading with God to do. Father, glorify your Son through me. There's three things that I think Jesus kind of attaches to his glory. How will he get glory? One is the plan of God is being carried out. Two is the love of God is being poured out. And three, the glory of God is being shouted out. How will Jesus get glory? The Father must carry out His plan. How will Jesus get glory? The love of the Father has to be poured out upon His people. How will Jesus get glory? His people see it as their main aim to shout out or project the glory of God. The plan of God being carried out. John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. What's that mean? The hour has come. Has come for what? If you've been in the church for a while, you understand. It means the unfolding plan of God has reached its apex, the climax. The story is about to be unfolded that He sent His only Son to die in the place of sinners and that perfect Son will be crushed for the sins of humanity. That perfect Son will be granted all authority in heaven and on earth because He didn't do an end around suffering. He entered into suffering. He walked the perfect road of obedience through suffering all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And He is at the brink of His death. The hour has come. The hour has come for Him to be mocked. The hour has come for all of God's words to be fulfilled in this one person, Jesus Christ. The hour has come for Jesus to die a sinner's death even though he was not a sinner. The hour has come. The hour has come for him to be betrayed by Judas. The hour has come for him to be left by all of his followers. The hour has come. Jesus knows it. But he knows that the hour has to come in order for him to be shown 
as worthy of all worship and for the Father, for his words to actually mean something. If any of this plan falls through, God can't be trusted and the Son is not glorious. The hour has come. And so Jesus says, Father, glorify me. Carry out your plan in such a way that I appear and seem and am gloriously supreme to everybody who's beholding if they have eyes to see. He's saying carry out a plan that shows the supreme worth of Jesus because when Jesus is supreme, the plan is carried out, the Father gets glory and the people get eternal life, life abundant. So, <clears throat> to glorify the Son, right here, Father, the hour has come. He's saying, you've got to carry out your plan in order that Jesus might be supreme, that the Father might get glory. This is what must happen. And so he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Just to be redundantly clear, to glorify the Son means show off the supreme beauty of Jesus and His perfection and the fact that He is all-satisfying when nothing else is. Show off your perfect justice and your sovereign mercy. So just in bullets, the plan is that Jesus would come, that He would live a perfect life, that he would be crushed for the sins of humanity. But through that crushing, all authority on heaven and on earth is shown to be his. Death is defeated as he is raised from the dead. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he gives his Holy Spirit so that his people would have it better than if Jesus were here himself. They would have the presence of God in and among them to sustain their faith, to drive them on me, and to get them to the end till they see Jesus face to face. Father, carry out your plan. Carry out your plan. And so he goes on in verse 1. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. That's as far as we're going today. The carrying out of the plan of salvation is to confirm and establish Jesus has authority over all flesh and that through that death and resurrection, eternal life might be given to you and me. I know it's a lot. <laughs> But this is what life is genuinely all about. Sometimes we just need kind of the, the curtain pulled back from what we see day in and day out. Because if you're like me, the inertia of my heart, the gravitational pull of my soul is towards comfort. It's towards just having things go in a healthy way in my home. I'm consumed with how my children will be and 
their activities and all the different day-to-day struggles. I'm consumed with the friendship that my wife and I have and how to foster and nurture that. I'm consumed with work. I'm consumed with relationships and how to love people and how to work through relational tension. I'm consumed with just sometimes the things I sit and watch. It's enjoyable. It takes you to another place. And you can, you can just be consumed by so much. And sometimes all of that can seem totally disjointed from everything I've just said. And some of the privilege of gathering in community groups, of gathering together in this moment, and I would argue some of the privilege of being still before the Lord in prayer is that the curtain is pulled back. The meaning of everything that consumes our thoughts comes to the forefront. This is about Jesus. And I've forgotten. This is why we wanted to take some time and spend time looking at John 17. It's not only so that we would know what Jesus prayed, it's so that we would know that Jesus prayed. He needed to pray. He needed to be still and be with His God. We need this. We need the daily stopping to abide in Christ. We need it. We need that daily time to abide in the love of God. This leads us to our second point. The love of God is being poured out. When it says in John 17, 1, when Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Those first few words, when Jesus had spoken these things, part of the these things travels from John 13 all the way forward to John 16. I'm just going to take out one little chunk, which is John 15. And I want you to hear this. Because this is part of the reason that Jesus prayed. John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments, And I abide, what? In His love. That's what we see in John 17. He is convinced at the hour of His death, the greatest thing He can do is to abide in the love of the Father in prayer. Father, I need to be with You. I'm stopping, I'm still before you to be with you. And he's saying, as the Father has loved the Son, so I, the Son, have loved you. 
And it's that love that drove him to the cross for you and me. It's that love that allowed him to carry out the plan to show his supreme worth. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Preached on this before. Tried to meditate on it. I just, it, my brain really struggles to comprehend the depth of that love. I thought about it. And sometimes I think one of the greatest pictures of love in the physical earth is a love of a mom for children. Obviously, there are exceptions to all kinds of rules, right? But as a general thing, the love of a mom for children is crazy big, right? Yes? Okay. Wake up. Here we are. It is this unrivaled love of my wife for our kids. I just, I look at it, and it's beautiful. What does that love, that ferocious, deep love of mom for children, it's sacrificial, it's persistent, it's, for lack of a better term, it's not always, but it's always, you know. It's always thinking about how to bless and how to do what is best for those kids. How to encourage and see their gifts get their maximum potential. How to see their lives leveraged for God. Praying that their hearts would embrace Jesus above every other love. And then if my children were to say, To someone else. In this church. I love you. With the same intensity. That my mom loves me. That'd be kind of weird. Be like. How how can you do that? And yet. I mean. It's like the width of a hair, how that compares to what's being said right here. As the Father perfectly loves the Son, the Son perfectly loves us. And so when you hear prayer, we should hear first not how to pray, but the invitation that we get to pray. The invitation to What's this text say in John 15? Abide in His love. The task of the believer to show off the supreme worth of Jesus is to sit with Jesus. To be still and to know that He is God. It makes sense, right? If I take my wife on a date and we're out laughing and I'm spending money on her or we're doing stuff that he likes to do people on the outside looking in are saying he loves her she's worth his affections the same thing applies the being still every single morning declares the supreme worth of jesus i.e glorifies the son us stopping to pray glorifies the son that's the point 
And it's there in prayer where we experience the love of God for us. A stopping to be in prayer allows us to glorify the Son. And it's there where we abide in His love. And what's so remarkable, you know, he says that John 17, 1, after he had said these things, part of what he has said is that it's better that he leave and that he give the Holy Spirit to us because we need a helper. Jesus was physical, flesh and bones. He was, he was there one moment, one moment. He could only be in one place at a time. The Holy Spirit is with all of his believers all over the globe, all times. We need the helper. And so the beauty is, is as I sit with God in prayer, the Holy Spirit uses his word to speak to my heart. It's the pulling back of the curtain that begins to retrain our minds that everything I did yesterday is about the glory of the Son. And everything I will do today is about the glory of Jesus. And everything I will do tomorrow is how can my life be a projector of the greatness of God? If we aren't stopping to experience the love of God for us, we are missing out on the security we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Dear friends, The other things that we love cannot hold the weight of our worship. The things that we want to replace God with cannot hold the weight of our worship. I had the privilege of speaking uh, on Friday, what was that, two days ago, um, in Minneapolis uh, for TCT, the Treasure in Christ Together Church Planning Network, 17, 18 potential church planters there and uh, was able to go and to talk to them and encourage them and that evening uh, went to a prayer gathering at Bethlehem Baptist Church and as we were gathering there one of the pastors stood up and that was a phrase that he prayed that just struck me it was that the things that we worship can't hold the weight of our worship like our God does What does that mean? It just, it became so practical to me as I heard him pray that out loud. It's like, when I make my wife the primary object of my affection, I will smother her. I will put too much responsibility on her. I will be passive in decision making. I'll crush her. She can't bear the weight of that worship. When my children become the object of my worship and they let us down, which all humans do, by the way, (laughs) when they let us down and we get so frustrated that they didn't do it our way, they didn't fit our plan and deep down, they're not comforting us like we wanted comfort. They're not obeying us like we wanted obedience. We're crushing them under the weight of our worship. When our job was never meant to be an object of our worship, and yet that's what we're, where we are looking for significance and satisfaction and hope and meaning and purpose, 
It's where workaholism happens. It's where neglect of other important things happens. And it won't satisfy. It will crush your soul. The only thing that can handle the weight of your worship is the glory and greatness and supremacy of Jesus. And the only thing that recenters your life is to be still and to know that he is God. Dear friends, it might seem like a lot of words for a simple invitation, and it pretty much is. Day by day by day, you're invited to experience the love of the Father and the Son poured out upon you morning by morning, afternoon by afternoon, evening by evening. If you, as I read in one book this week, if you lose him, you lose everything. Oh God, help us not to lose him. Help us not to lose him in the busyness of life. Help us to be still and to sit with him and to see that curtain pulled back and allow the Holy Spirit to pour out the love of God into our hearts. And so, the final idea is that the glory, the glory of the Son must be shouted out by the people of God. Look at our passage. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh to do what? Jesus was granted authority over everything. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Said after he had died and risen from the dead. It shows that Satan is not the ruler of this world. Our King Jesus is. All authority is mine to do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given the Son. The point is that individual sinners who should have no access to God at all, might enjoy forever and ever and ever the beauty of King Jesus. Might enjoy the Son. So this granting of eternal life is so that we would not only be invited into this journey of prayer, but we would be invited into this lifestyle of projecting the glory of God. The glory of God is being shouted out. That's the point of our lives, that we would live until we see him face to face, shouting out the glory of God. And so, as you look at this passage, and he says, to give eternal life to all whom you have given there is an echo of John chapter 1. I don't know if you remember these words in John chapter 1. Verse 12, or verse 11. 
Jesus came to his own and his own people, that is the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the access, the privileges to become children of God. So just stop there. Follow the train. Jesus is saying, glorify me. Glorify me so that, God, you get glory in carrying out your plan and pouring out your love upon your people. Get glory for yourself in order that people might be granted eternal life. They might receive eternal life and they might be glory shouters until they see me face to face. And he's saying, how does someone get eternal life? How do they get access to what Jesus purchased on the cross? To all who would receive him, who would believe in his name. You follow? You get access to eternal life by believing in his name. And by believing in his name, you get the right to be children, not orphans, invited into the family. And so this is what we proclaim. This is what we proclaim to each other. This is what we go out and proclaim. Trust in Christ. Believe in Jesus. And you will be forgiven. We must proclaim that people are sinners. We must proclaim that God is loving and just to forgive us of our sins. I was reading this week by Charles Spurgeon. And he was talking in his autobiography. I'm only in the first volume. In his autobiography, he was wrestling with, how do I know that I'm a follower of Jesus? How do I know? Because he says, I sin every day. I sin every day. You sin every day. How do we know that we're followers of Jesus? And it was so beautifully simple. He said, because Jesus tells me that he saves sinners. And I'm a sinner. And I believe and trust him to save this sinner. And because I believe that, I know he has me. He's got me. If you're humble enough to say, I'm a sinner. And you say, I trust Jesus alone to save me from my sins. You have confidence because of John 1.12. That's not of you. Proud people don't say, I'm a sinner and I can't fix my problem. They don't say, Jesus is my only hope and he's my sole Lord. That's why we lean on the righteousness of another. And we declare day by day, I cannot stand on my own righteousness. But look at John 1.12. He says, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, verse 13, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Our hope that we are his is the work of God, that the Father has given the Son his children, and what he has given will be carried out to completion. The reason I draw my, our eyes back there is because that seems to be what 
Jesus is emphasizing here in verse 2, right? Eternal life to all whom you, Father, have given the Son. Part of the glory is that God is in charge of this whole salvation work. And therefore, friends, we are free. We are free. We are free from the power of sin and Satan to be our bosses. We are freed up into the arms of Jesus. We are freed up from leaning on our own righteousness, but we lean on the righteousness of Jesus. We are freed up to then with our lives be a projector to shout his glory from the rooftops. And so, I invite you to answer that question with your life today. And I don't know what it looks like, but I trust the Spirit of God. I trust Him to prick your heart, believer, to say, what's one thing where my life has not been projecting Jesus? And it can. If we start anywhere, I pray that it is in being still before our great God in heaven in prayer. May we refuse. May we refuse to participate in things that show the glory of us. May we refuse to live for our glory. And may we be still. And ask God to use our lives as a projector so that the Son is glorified through us. Let's pray. God, I ask. I ask in prayer form what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. Father, May you let your light so shine in us before one another and before this world that they may see your good works that you are doing through me and through our people and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Father, may our good works show off the glory of the Father. May we refuse, refuse to participate in crude humor just to be accepted. May we refuse to make fun of people that you say are in your image. May we refuse to cheat on our taxes or lie to get ahead. May we refuse to keep all of our money for ourselves, but to give faithfully here and to those in need. May we say with our time and our money and our mouths that you are the biggest deal in the universe. Father, would you glorify your son in us so that people would say Jesus matters. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough in order that, Father, you might get glory. Oh, God.